Praise the Lord. I count it an honor to fill this pulpit, Pastor. I appreciate you inviting me here again. And I do count it an honor. It's a privilege. And it's a tremendous responsibility. Every time we step into the pulpit, you know, there's a part of you that, you know, um, I always try to be very transparent and very honest, you know. Um, I want to blow you away, <laughs> you know. You have to forgive me here. This is not designed for a high-performance, wide-body model head like mine. <laughs> but more importantly, I want the Word of God to change us today. Amen? It doesn't matter me. If I could pray and ask God to take me out of the equation, I, I am asking him to do that. I'm asking him to do it by the power of his spirit because only the word can change us. I can't do anything for you, you know. But even the Bible says in a great house there are many vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. Pray for me today that I honor our Father in Jesus' name. The Servant King series is what we've been dealing with, and I figure we should be wrapping up on this around December of 2020 at the rate we're going. <laughs> I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're on track, Pastor. <laughs> Today's passage of Scripture comes from Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Say that with me. He saw everything clearly. One more time. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, and he strictly charged him to tell no one about him. When I began to read the passage of scripture to prepare for this message, I saw it as two entirely different lessons. I wanted to, uh, I got a call from pastor on Thursday, and he wanted to touch base with me to see how it was going. And uh, I told him, you know, so far, it, it is not, I, I told him, it's not exactly formed yet. <laughs> I said, I kind of see these as two different stories, and I, I don't get the link. And he said, well, I, I think the link is there. I think you ought to focus on sight. Well, I was off to the races, wasn't I, Pastor, after that, you know. So I, I grabbed a dictionary. I like looking up Webster's Dictionary, you know, definitions of words, and I looked at just the word see. How many of you want to see? I want to see. The dictionary says it's a verb. It's to perceive with the eyes, to discern visually, Synonyms include to discern, to spot, to notice, to catch sight of, to glimpse, to spy, distinguish, or detect. Number two, 
discern or deduce mentally after reflection or from information or to understand as in, oh, I see. <laughs> Your understanding, right? Now, there's several ways that I can think of for a person to see are covered in these passages of Scripture. But in more general terms, most people can see with their physical eyes. Can you say amen? Most of us in this room can see with their physical eyes. Another person who has no physical sight can feel an object with their hands and get a mental picture or perception of what they're holding in their hands. Does that make sense to you? So you can have mental ascension to an object. Get a picture of it in your mind by running it around in your hands. As a matter of fact, I believe that this blind man, let's go ahead and touch on this and get it over with. When Jesus took this guy by the hand, led him out of the city, it says that he spit on his eyes. Now, I'm not real impressed with that. <laughs> I'm not real keen on that. But do you think that when Jesus spit in his eyes, the blind man perceived and understood that he'd just been spit on? <laughs> we'll visit that later. It's not important at this point, all right? But he formed a mental picture. He could see. He knew something was going on. Jesus was doing something, and it was different. Different than how he normally did things. Does that make sense to you? It was different. All right. An even deeper form of sight happens whenever a person perceives the truth clearly, maybe for the first time in their lives, but all of a sudden, it's changing them on the inside possibly in an eternal way. That's what I'm praying, that God will help us see something and perceive something and understand something today that will change us in an eternal way. How does this translate to us today? In other words, how can I place myself in a position to improve my vision and enjoy the potential to see all things clearly? While I believe with all of my heart that this is an ongoing process that will be going on all of my life, I do believe there are certain biblical principles that I can line up with that will help me to see things more clearly. How many of you believe Jesus wants us to see things more clearly? We're going to take just a few minutes to examine three things that we need to learn to do on a consistent basis so that Jesus can help us see things more clearly. The servant king is willing to help us see clearly. Now brace yourself for this. Because God dropped this on me last night. My wife and Taya came up out of the chair. The servant king is willing to help us see clearly. One, we must learn that he's willing to take us further and deeper than the physical need that we are so focused on begging him to meet. Think about that. We must learn that he's willing to take us further and deeper than the physical need that we are so focused on begging him to meet. Remember the text. Some people have brought him a blind man and they begged him to touch him. They wanted badly for him to be healed of his physical blindness. What does Jesus do? Takes the man by the hand, walks him out of the village, spits on his eyes, <laughs> lays hands on him, and asks him a loaded question. What did we learn when we looked at the Syrophoenician woman? Jesus, by almost like a lawyer, he never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. Amen? So he says to this blind man, what do you see? He says, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Pretty, pretty astounding. I see people, they look like trees walking. I once grabbed a concordance and I looked in the Bible, in that concordance, and I wanted to know how many times in the Bible... 
are trees listed? And, and in what context are they listed? Why are they, why are they there? What are they there for? It's a lot of times. I'll get back to that. But such as Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a what? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. I cannot read that verse of scripture, verse of scripture without seeing that tree. I can see it. It's a great tree. It's planted by this, this water supply that never runs dry. You know, the roots are deep. The trees are bright and beautiful. The leaves are bright and beautiful. And the storms of this life do not take this tree down. It's powerful. It's a powerful tree. It's well set. Now, I'm just going to lay this out for you. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not saying emphatically that this is what Jesus did. I'm just saying for you to consider this with me. You know, what if Jesus spit in this guy's eyes and laid hands on him, then asked him what he saw, and when he opened his eyes and he saw people, but he said they looked like trees walking. I'm just saying, what if Jesus healed him and touched him spiritually before he touched him physically and healed him. Now, as, as an investigator, as a law enforcement officer, I would say these phrases over and over again, and, and, and the APD cops that attend this church will understand this. Follow the evidence. Follow the evidence. Follow the evidence. And where does the evidence lead us? I'm, I'm not saying emphatically that that's what he did. I can't, I'm not that person. I, I don't know. I can't say emphatically, Jesus has healed people in the book of Mark so many times, so many different ways, and you know he never checked with me once about his methodology. He can do it the way he wants to do it, anytime he wants to do it. But is the idea really that far-fetched? Do you remember in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 11? It says, when he returned to Capernaum for some days, it was reported that he was at home. I like that. That's where you get your mail, right? He's at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic. This guy's crippled. Carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw, he asked, why did you rip a hole in my roof? No, he didn't say that. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But wait a minute. Now, Jesus, I really appreciate the sentiment here, but that's not what I came for. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He came to be healed because he was a cripple, but what did Jesus do? Focused on the spiritual need first. Because Jesus' priorities are always right. Mine are messed up, but Jesus' priorities are never out of line. So he says, son your, sons are, or, or, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, and this is very important, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? When he said, son, your sins are forgiven, could anybody see it? No one could see it, right? So it behooved him to go 
further, right? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. See, for me personally, looking, following the evidence, it's difficult to separate the two, the physical healing from the spiritual healing. But I cannot help but believe in the eyes and mind of God, our spiritual healing is more important than our physical healing, but he does both. Doesn't he? Alright, so this blind man was brought to him, they begged him to touch him, he spit on his eyes, he laid hands on him twice, not once. I don't care how many times Jesus wants to do it, he can do it any way he wants. But that man saying, I see people, but they look like trees walking, make me think that Jesus dealt with a spiritual need before he dealt with his physical need. Can a man go to heaven blind? Can a man, a blind man die and go to heaven? But a man who has not had his spiritual eyes open will go into eternity without Christ. All right, let's move on. The servant king is willing to help us see clearly. Second point. He not only specializes in meeting spiritual needs, but he also thrives on meeting physical needs. Now, this sounds like a no-brainer. We've already covered. Jesus loves to heal us spiritually, and he loves to heal us, phys heal us physically. But what I want to deal with for a few moments is the day and age in which that blind man got healed and the day and age in which we live today. How many times have we read in the book of Mark alone that people brought somebody to Jesus or someone went to Jesus begging him to touch them, begging him to heal them? Begging is a form of prayer. I don't care what you say. Begging is a form of prayer. But it is a form of prayer that we need to grow through and get out to the other side. He not only specializes in meeting spiritual needs, but he also thrives on meeting physical needs. If you don't learn anything else in your life today, you need to learn that. You need to let that get down on the inside of you, and it will affect how you approach Jesus about the physical needs of your life. I just want to spend a few more minutes on this. Am I belittling Jesus meeting physical needs? No. Jesus never goes halfway. He'll meet spiritual needs he meets physical needs. Amen? Now, let's take a minute, though. We have to take a minute, though, to, to look at approach in this matter. All right? Because I, I used to be, I, I had the honor and privilege many times to be invited to the Alaska uh, State's uh, Law Enforcement Academy in Sitka. And I taught on lots of subjects. And I can't hardly remember any of them today. But I remember one thing I tried to get across. The important thing to the students at the academy, because it's been a number of years. There was a phrase that I would try to get across to future municipal officers and future Alaska State Troopers. And it went like this. And it's true today. I still teach it to security officers on the pipeline. Approach dictates response. Approach dictates response. All right? I don't care whether it's in law enforcement, you stop someone to do a, a traffic ticket, you know, you're going to write a traffic ticket, approach still dictates response. It helps set the pace, doesn't it? What if approach dictates response even in going to God? 
I mean, there were many times in, in Mark that people went to Jesus and begged him to do something, and he did it. it. It worked well, evidently, apparently, for a lot of those folks. But is that the way God wants us to continue to approach him? I don't think so. Listen to this, because we got we to deal with brevity here. You can beg and God will meet a need. Amen? You can do it. But for the sake of brevity, let me just put it this way. If all we ever do is talk to him when things have gone poorly, should we be surprised if his response doesn't match the intensity of our need? Here's another way to look at it. You can't get to know the servant king in the way that he wants you to know him if you never talk to him unless your hair is on fire. Well... And for me, that wouldn't take long, <laughs> you know? Can you say, poof? <laughs> I've had people ask me, if Jesus knows everything, then why do I have to pray at all? Why do I have to approach him in any manner whatsoever? Well, that's a good question. The good answer is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. English Standard Version says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows you, what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. I missed the King James Version on this, where Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, God already knows what you have need of before you ask him. So when you pray, he didn't say, if you pray, if it crosses your mind, he said, when you pray. Say it with me. When you pray. Why in this world would I have to pray and talk to God about things he already, he already knows I have need of? How many of you believe that God wants to have a conversational relationship with you on a regular basis? I will tell you this is one thing God and my wife have in common. I think that, that Ruthie should know I love her. I married her 40 years ago. But every day, every single solitary day, <laughs> she loves to hear me say that I love her. And do I do that, Ruthie? Yeah, I do that. Why? <laughs> Number one, it's true, baby. <laughs> Are you hearing me, honey? It's true. <laughs> I do love her. But she likes to hear it. I'm telling you, Father God in heaven loves to hear it too. It's part of my prayer life. My Apple Watch said today, I look at it, bing, touch this button. Here it says, I paced a mile and a half today while praying over this message. And several times I told him, Father, you know I love you. You know I need you. I cannot present me today. I have to present you. I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit. So what, what, is, what is need to be in this point, to, to move this point out and, and move along? Here, it goes like this. We have to pray. We have to be people of prayer because Father in His infinite wisdom, now catch this, Father in His infinite wisdom has chosen to work in this world through the prayers of His children. Father, Father is sovereign, is he not? He's sovereign. He can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. But, and, and he does that. He has to because 
So many of his children aren't praying. He's got he's to pull something out of the sovereign hat once in a while and just move because he's God. But how much more could be done if God's children just did what he told them to do? Talk to him about the things that need to be done because he's the only one that can get them done. Now listen, I've told you this before and I'm not joking. I'm weird. I'm weird. I think different. I can't find people that think just like this. But listen to me. You've got to let this touch you. It's powerful. Prayer in this world is an irresistible force that cannot be stopped. It goes way beyond begging. And this kind of prayer life isn't birthed overnight. It's over a lifetime of building relationship conversationally with him. So, so we need to be people of prayer. Can you say amen? And it's got to go beyond begging. It's got to go beyond begging. Quit focusing so much on what a mess you are. You, everybody knows you're a mess. Every, everybody knows I'm a mess. You know, what? I start out my prayer, Father, you know I'm a mess. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses me of all of my sins afresh and anew, and I move on. And I move on. I've got more important things to talk to him about than that. All right. Is the servant king helping you to see more clearly? All right, point number three. He wants to reveal himself to us in ways we don't even think about under normal circumstances. Let that sink in. He wants to reveal himself to us in ways that we don't even think about under normal circumstances. To get a better understanding of this, you need to visit the same story that we read earlier, but in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, and one of, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. How many of you believe that God likes to touch people and help them to see? Physically, mentally, your understanding, but more importantly even, spiritually. You're hearing truths today that if you let the Holy Spirit help you, they'll sink down on the inside of you and they'll change your life. According to Jesus, Peter's confession would be what Christ would build his church on and that this revelation was given to Peter by God. Now here's a question that I wrote down. How does one place himself in a position to see truths clearly that other people are missing? Sometimes it's just as simple as straightening out your thinking. You're hearing some, some of you are hearing things today you never even thought of before, you never heard before. You never, didn't pierce, you know, your thinking. Let it pierce your thinking. Let it sink down on the inside of you. Think about it this way. This is my approach. I don't know if it will help you or not, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it teaches that we are created in the image of God. We've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we're created as triune beings. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'd like somebody to take a shot at what kind of triune being. What are the three parts of us? Somebody tell us. Somebody. Be bold. Step out. 
There's three parts to us. You're close. You're close. Who's got another shot at it? What's that? You're talking more about the Trinity than us, but it is this one. Body, soul, and spirit. Now, let me, let me tell you, that, that is powerful and that is the answer. Only it needs to be arranged, rearranged. Human nature will say it almost every time backwards. Body, soul, and spirit. You didn't do anything wrong when you did that. All you did was give the answer. All you did was give the natural answer. I, every time I ever ask that question, I get the answer from somebody correct but backwards. Body, soul, and spirit. So, well, why is that so important, Brother Dennis? It lets us know where we're at in our thinking. It lets us know where, how we approach the Father, right? All right, look at it this way. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. How many of you know the Word of God will get it right? All, all the way, right? And may your whole, does it say your whole body? No. It says your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Brother Dennis, why is that important? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It goes like this. For whatever reason, I find myself from my youth to today, I remind myself every day that I am a spirit. Now, this morning I got up, I showered, I shaved, I deodorized myself. You can thank me now. Yeah, you thank me. Why? Because, you know, you know I, I have to, personal hygiene, I look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, what do I see? I see this body, right? So I take care of it. But every day I remind myself that I am a spirit. I have a soul. It's the seed of my intellect. And I live, though, in this body. For as long as I'm in this realm, I'll be living in this body. Does that make sense to you? Say, well, what difference does that make? It makes all the difference in the world in how I approach Father in the throne room of grace in the name of Jesus. I never approach Father in the name of Jesus without the understanding that I am an eternal being. I have been given life because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven after being seen by over 500 people in this world. He ascended to the Father in heaven. He's seated at the right hand. And while I'm preaching this message, Jesus is making intercession for me and for you. This is the kind of thinking that dominates my mental thought life because I know that I know that I know I am a spirit that's made alive through Jesus Christ. Amen? So therefore, the spirit man that gets to see things more clearly when touched by the Spirit of God can dictate more to my mind and my body than my body does to any other part of me, the real me. I, that way you get help not letting your body dictate to who you are, your spirit, of how things are. Some people, when you don't think like this and you're not conscious of it, you don't get any help from it. So you got to be exposed to it. So you've been exposed to it. Can you say amen? All right. All right. In closing. I remind myself of the truth every day. It's just a spiritual exercise that I practice keeping position to let the servant king 
show me clearly anything he wants to show me. Need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. One, am I spiritually blind because I have never allowed Jesus to open my eyes to my need for a relationship with him? If so, you are only a prayer away from being healed. Two, or am I blind now to all that the servant king has for me because I have allowed myself to be blinded to my relationship with the servant king? Though at one time in my life I had sight, but allowed the trials and tribulations in this world to rob me blind about the preciousness of that relationship. Do you remember the blind man, the first one we looked at today, that those people brought to Jesus and begged him to heal? Follow the evidence. The word of God says, Jesus restored his sight means the man was blind or had sight at one time was blinded and Jesus restored his sight you know what I'm not God I'm not trying to be God I'm not smart not intelligent that's why I have to live my life by the word I'm not saying the people who you know once had sight maybe they had a relationship with God but you know, where their, what's their destiny today? All I know is all of us, whether we knew Jesus at one time and maybe things have gone tough for us and we haven't, you know, practiced our relationship. We haven't walked with God in a long time. You know, where, where would I end up in that life? I'm not God. I don't know. All I know is that you, if you feel blind today, Jesus wants to heal you. If you've never had your eyes open, your one prayer away from getting them open, if you felt like that you had a relationship with God at one time, but it's been damaged, it's been weakened, it's been darkened, you're one prayer away. One prayer away from God giving you the sight he wants to give you. Most important steps you can take in your lifetime.